There we go. So we're, I'm going to recite the blessing for Torah study. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav Tzivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, source of life, creator of the universe, who makes us holy with your mitzvot and has given us the mitzvah of engaging with the words of the Torah. You see Ellen's Amen card? The reason she puts that up, which I really appreciate, is that you're actually not supposed to say Amen to your own blessing. Amen is the response to a blessing. And there's even a saying in the Talmud that greater and is the person who responds amen to a blessing than is the person who says it. Uh, because it, it's an acknowledgement. Amen comes from <clears throat> the same word as emunah, which means faith, or it kind of means it is so, or yeah, that, that's a good translation of amen. So thanks for your amen cards, Ellen. Uh, this week's Torah portion is actually my bar mitzvah portion. In 19, 1968, uh, I chanted this Parsha when I was 13. And uh, I, um, so while I'll, I'll note that today, I remember that uh, our synagogue was a, a, a converted private house. We were in a very small synagogue. And the only way we were going to have a reception, a little lunch afterwards, was if it was sunny. But it was raining and miserable and terrible for like two weeks. And then what I remember about my bar mitzvah is that that day, it was like November 2nd that year, it was a, a sunny and 77 degrees. So God smiled on me that day and my parents. <laughs> And I got out of this scratchy wool suit from Robert Hall's as soon as I could get home at about two o'clock. I remember that. And I changed into my shorts and t-shirt and ran down to the high school to watch the football game. So that's a memory from the suburbs of 1968. And this, uh, this Shabbat, Joan Goodman uh, is going to be chanting Torah in honor of the anniversary of her bat mitzvah. And, um, uh, will have a wonderful teaching to share with us this Shabbat. Rob Saffer comments that he got his suit at Robert Hall's too. Okay, that's just great, Rob. We have so much in common, it's wonderful. I was, um, it was like, um, I, I was always in the Husky section, which was always uncomfortable and embarrassing. So that's my memory of getting a suit. <laughs> Oh, great. Yes, a time capsule. Oh, you wished you were in the Husky section, Rob. Well, nobody's happy with their body when they're 13, I guess. <laughs> and Ellen says it's going to be your grandson's Parsha in eight years. And Joan had her dress. It was October 16th, 1964. Okay, enough about, uh, enough about that. So every year, I make it a point of spending time with the Parsha, since this was my Parsha, and saying, okay, what's jumping out at me today? During this time that I would say I can probably speak for most of us, uh, it's a time of kind of anxious vigil. Like, how are we getting through each day on the way to the countdown to the election? And then is it what's going to happen after the election? So I want to acknowledge that um, that many of us are in the same space. I'm rubbing my sternum here where I tend to carry the most tension. Um, and each of us, I hope, is using healthy coping mechanisms and whatever wisdom you've gleaned over the years to get through each day and staying connected to one another. <sighs> and uh, as uh, Bonnie, Rabbi Bonnie Cohen, who's here with us said, this too shall pass and we have no idea what'll be next. But in the meantime, I bless you all to keep breathing, to keep reaching out, to keep connecting, to eat well, 
and to take whatever actions and give whatever funding and make sure you vote and all that good stuff. This Torah portion that I, what jumped out at me isn't going to relate directly to our moments situation, but I'm sure somehow, because it's what jumped out at me from the text, it's going to translate into this moment. Um, let's see, I'll just read Joan's comment. The reason for Joan's desire to spend a, uh, a strong desire to include gender in our discussion today is that she had to read on Friday night because in 1964, they wouldn't let girls onto the Bima on Saturday morning. I'm sure that's true for a number of us in this gathering as well. Well, we're gonna be talking about Hagar so uh, and Ishmael. So we will, be, uh, we, will, we will not be making Abraham the centerpiece of, of our discussion today. Okay, so in Lech Lecha, which is chapters, starts with chapter uh, 12 and goes all the way through chapter 17 of um, Genesis, a lot happens. Abraham gets his call. Then he and Sarah travel with their whole household to a place they do not know, to a land that God will show them where they can be a blessing. It says, you will be a blessing. So that story is what's the journey we each take in our lives so that we might become a blessing to all those who encounter us. And then um, there are more events that happen to Abram and Sarah, Sarai. They don't have their, their full given names yet. And then I wanna focus on chapter 16, and you'll see on one line of 16. Oh, Jerome Taub, our blessed Jerome. We remember him with love. This was his portion as well. And when Jerome had his second bar mitzvah at the age of 83, he read his, uh, he shared the, the book that his rabbi had given to him, that his rabbi had authored at his, at jo Jerome's bar mitzvah in 1937. I still remember it. Uh, he read from his rabbi's writing from 1937. It's beautiful. So let's put up chapter 16. Thanks, Gwen. And you'll, I will let you know where I'm headed, but I want to give you context. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, Avram's wife, had not borne him children, and she had an Egyptian maid. Her name was Hagar. Shifcha means a maid. It also means a servant. It also means a female slave. I wonder, um, so Hagar is a slave. She's not a, she's not, she's not a voluntary uh, uh, maid. Sarai, she's a, a concubine. Sarai said to Avram, now here, yud heh has obstructed me from bearing um, a child. Pray, come to my maid. Perhaps I may be built up with sons through her. And Avram hearkened to Sarai's voice. Sarai, Avram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian woman, her maid, at the end of 10 years of Avram's being settled in the land of Canaan and gave her to husband Avram as a wife for him. And he came into Hagar and she became pregnant. But when she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became of light worth in her eyes. Another translation, she scorned her, her mistress. She was like, I'm pregnant and you're not. And I'm carrying Avram's child and you're not. Even though the child in, ancient, um, in, in, in this ancient society technically belonged to Sarai, um, but uh, this is a conflict as old as we know. Um, and Sarai said to Avram, the wrong done me is upon you. I myself gave my maid into your bosom 
But now that she sees that she is pregnant, I have become of light worth in her eyes. May yud see justice done between me and you. Let the eternal be the judge between us. Um, now we'll scroll down. Go up to verse six. Which do you want? What do you want? You want uh, to keep going with the narrative. Verse six. Oh, okay. Thanks so much. Avram said to Sarai, here, your maid is in your hand. Deal with her however seems good in your eyes. And Sarai afflicted her so that Hagar had to flee from her. Um, and an angel of yod which it's important to see that Fox translates as yod messenger, because it's worth saying for those unfamiliar that <coughs> malach in Hebrew means messenger, angel in Greek means messenger. Okay, so all that angel means is a messenger of God. And messenger means in the Torah here, kind of an extension of God's will. The messenger has no personhood of their own. And when you read the Torah, uh, an angel there, it's um, highlighted there. Thanks, Gwen. An angel um, and God speaking and the angel speaking seem to interchange. Well, who's speaking? It's all God. But a malach is a messenger of God. That's, that's in the Torah. Later, much later in Jewish history, angels gain individual names and identities, but not in the, not in the Torah at all. They, they're unnamed. In fact, whenever anyone asks an angel's name in the Torah, as Jacob does, uh, the angel says, you cannot know my name and disappears. That happens to Manoah also in the story of Samson's birth. Um, if God's name is unknowable, then also uh, um, the angel has no knowable name. Okay, just wanted to say that about angels. Yodhi Vavi's measure found her. Um, uh, uh, at a spring of water in the wilderness, at the spring on the road to Shur. And the angel said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence do you come? Whither are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from Sarai, my mistress. Yodhevave's messenger said to her, return to your mistress and let yourself be afflicted under her hand. And Yodhevave's messenger said to her, I will make your seed many, yes, many. It will be too many to count. And Yodhevave's messenger said to her, here, behold, you are pregnant. You will bear a son and call his name Yishmael, which means God hears, for God has heard about your affliction. God has hearkened to your being afflicted. And he shall be a wild ass of a man, his hand against all, hand of all against him. Yet in the presence of all his brothers shall he dwell. Okay, now here's the line that I want to focus on. Now she, okay, so Hagar speaks to God, called the name of yod the one who was speaking to her, and said, Ata el-ro'i. You, God of seeing. Okay, now we're going to have to focus on this translation. El-ro'i. Another translation would be, um, uh, we're in verse 13. Um, you are el-ro'i. Meaning by this, for she said, have I actually gone on seeing here? after his seeing me, she's speaking to God. And this is the name that she gives, God of seeing, El Roi. And therefore the well was called the well of the living one who sees me. She named the well, the well of the living one who sees me. 
Be'er Lachai Ro'i. Here, it is a place between Kadesh and Bered. Um, and uh, Hagar bore Avram a son. And Avram called the name of the son whom Hagar bore Yishmael, meaning God hears or hearkens. And Avram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Yishmael to Avram. Okay, so what I wanna focus on today, I'll just point out Joan comments that Hagar is the only, one of the only women in the Torah who hears and speaks with God, it's true. Hagar is a very, um, is a character with a lot of agency. But what I wanna focus on, which I've focused on over the years and it rolled into my awareness today strongly, is that she names God the living one who sees me. That's a beautiful name for something godly, I think. Be'er l'chai ro'i. And um, she names the well. And I wanna ask us the question, this amazing place called the well of the living one who sees me is a, um, where else do we hear about it in the Torah? So it has, it is named two more times. And so if uh, I wanna look at those citations, if uh, Gwen would put up uh, chapter 25 verses seven to 12 now. Beautiful. Okay, we were back just now in chapter 16. A lot happens between chapter 16 and 25, the entire saga of Abraham and Sarah. And it says in chapter 25, now these are the days and years of the life of Abraham, which he lived, <coughs> excuse me, a hundred years and 70 years and five years. And then he expired. Abraham died at a good ripe age, old and satisfied in days and was gathered to his kinspeople. Oh, you know what? Before we do this, I, I made a mistake when I looked at my list wrong. Go back to chapter 24 verses um, 59 to 67. Sorry about that, folks. This is the next mention. Okay, this is the end of the chapter where in the portion of Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, Sarah has died. Abraham has bought a burial place for her, the cave of Machpelah and buried her there. And then sent um, his servant off to the old country to uh, find a wife for the, his son, Isaac. Um, and after they, the, the servant negotiates with Rebecca, Rivka, and her, her uncle, her father and uh, um, brother, Rivka says, I'm going back with this man. So they sent off Rivka, their sister, with her nurse and Abraham, Abraham's servant with his men. And they gave Rivka farewell blessing and said to her, our sister, may you become thousandfold myriads and may your seed inherit the gate of those who hate him. And Rivka and her maids arose, they mounted the camels and went after the man, meaning Abraham's servant. The servant took Rivka and went away. Okay, now Yitzchak had come from where you come to the well of the living one who sees me for he had settled in the Negev, Be'er L'chai Ro'i. All right, so Isaac, Yitzchak, apparently isn't living with Abraham. He's living at this place called Be'er L'chai Ro'i, which we've only heard about once, the place that Hagar named. 
and uh, he comes comes up to this place from there to meet the caravan and saw, he lifted up his eyes and saw camels coming. And Rivka lifted up her eyes and saw Yitzchak. And she got down from the camel and said to the servant, who is the man over there that is walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, Uh, that is my Lord. And she took a veil and covered herself. Now the servant recounted to Yitzhak all the things that he had done. And Yitzhak brought Rebekah into the tent of Sarah, his mother. He took Rivka and she became his wife and he loved her. And thus was Yitzhak comforted after his mother. Okay, so the key link here is that we learned about a place called Be'er Lechairo'i, the living one who sees me, which Hagar goes to. And then we hear about it next that Yitzchak is living there. Okay, so now let's go on to the next chapter, uh, 25 verses 7 to 12. Thank you, Glenn. And we were saying Abraham died at a ripe old age. And then it says in verse 9, Yitzchak and Yishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, son of Tzohar the Hittite, the, that faces Mamre, the field that Abraham had acquired from the sons of Chet. There were buried Avraham and Sarah, his wife. Now, it was after Avraham's death that God blessed Yitzchak, his son. And Yitzchak settled by the well of the living one who sees me, Be'er Lechai Ro'i. And then the next verse says, and now these are the generations of Yishmael, son of Abraham, whom Hagar the Egyptian woman, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And then what continues is a list of Yishmael's offspring. So in this sentence, the last time we ever hear about Be'er Lechai Ro'i, Isaac and Ishmael, have buried their father together. And then Yitzchak settles back at Be'er Lechairo'i with his family. And Yishmael and Hagar are mentioned again. Okay, so those are the three mentions of Be'er Lechairo'i. And uh, uh, let's take the text down now so we can all see each other. Thanks. So many of you are now familiar with what it means to weave a midrash, a story about the story. All we have are these odd clues that about this place with this incredibly powerful name called the well of the living one who sees me. And we know about it in these three instances. Um, Hagar goes there and the angel speaks to her and Hagar names the place because she calls God the living one who sees me. And then we next hear about it when it appears that Isaac lives there years later and then goes back there after burying his father. Now, in the intervening chapter, there is the story of the binding of Isaac in chapter 22. In between chapter 16, which we read, and chapter 24 and 25, which you just heard now. There's chap next week, there's chapter 21, which talks about um, the birth of Isaac. Um, and um, the, we read that on Rosh Hashanah, first day every year, the birth of Isaac and the expulsion again of Hagar and her son Ishmael, where that's when, if you recall the story, Ishmael uh, is dying of thirst. Hagar puts him under a bush and walks away so she doesn't have to witness her child dying. And an angel speaks to Hagar and says, Hagar, lift up your eyes, pick up the boy and open your eyes. And there's a well there. 
and Hagar raises Ishmael by that well. Okay, now that well in chapter 21 is not named. Then in chapter 22, Abraham is told to take his son Isaac and offer him up as a sacrifice on the mountain, the binding of Isaac. So how do all these stories weave together? In chapter 22, the binding of Isaac, right after God says, do not touch the lad when Abraham's knife is raised and Abraham instead slaughters the ram, it then says, the text then says, and Abraham returned to his servants and they went home. And curiously, there's no mention of Isaac. Where did Isaac go? We don't even hear anything about Isaac for a long time in the story after that. And so the absence of Isaac becomes the, the that, that, that absence becomes an opportunity to fill it up with stories. Um, one of the ancient, when I was in uh, Jewish day school, the, the, the main story about where Isaac went after he was not slaughtered <clears throat> is that he went to the yeshiva of Shaman Aver. Now, there's nothing in the Torah that talks about a yeshiva, right? That's an anachronism. Um, Shame is Noah's son and Aver is his grandson. And in rabbinic midrash, they have created an academy, a yeshiva, where Jacob and Abraham and Isaac all get the essence of Torah transmitted through them. Um, so for if you want to know where Isaac went, he went off to yeshiva, where he could gr grow in wisdom and, and learn. That's why he didn't come home. There are many other midrashim. In the Crusades, there are midrashim about what happened to Isaac. Well, under the Crusades, um, many, many families had to, were martyred and martyred their own children rather than be, have them um, taken off into the Crusades. And so there are, there are, there are um, midrashim we can date from that period that describe how what happened was that when Isaac was on the altar, he actually died and went up to heaven and that God revived him back to life. So the reason that Isaac didn't come back was because he was, um, um, uh, he was in um, God's hands and needed to be revived by the dew of God's, some say the, you know, by, by God's dew so that he could come back to life again. Kind of a wish fulfillment for lost children. It's a very poignant midrash and he is restored. Um, uh, Pauline says, where, where, where was Isaac getting psychotherapy? That would be a good modern midrash. Carol raised her hand. Carol, what did you wanna say? You're still muted, Carol. I tried the space bar, didn't I? Okay, I'm writing a whole novel in my head right now. Yeah about this well, because if Isaac after that does not go study in the Reshiva, but just feels completely not seen by his father. Mm -hmm. Yes. Whatever not. Abraham's reasons are and whatever he has to live with, he is not seen by his father. And the very person that his mother is trying to separate him from somehow sees him. Um, Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar and Ishmael is what, is what I'm thinking about. That's right. Um, it's Ishmael. Hagar might feel differently about it, but but the the desire to be seen, which takes him to the well, and the desire to be with his brother, which fits in with the whole thing, the whole Torah story of I'm searching for my brother. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm very moved by this. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed, Carol. Thank you. Um, and uh, Joan mentioned that Isaac is a Messiah figure. Um, that is correct. And the Christian Midrashim, remember, okay, again, if you're new to this, early Christians were Jews who studied these texts the same way we're studying them. Um, and uh, uh, for them, who were now followers of their new teacher and Messiah Jesus, um, Isaiah, uh, Isaac's story is a precursor to a ch uh, the, the son giving up their life for the father and for humanity. So that is a whole other treatment, midrashic treatment of the Isaac story. Um, and we're not gonna go there, but it's important, again, if you're new to this approach to understand Christianity as a variant interpretation, just like all the interpretations that, I'm, that we're mentioning here. And what I'm doing today is I'm giving you a contemporary midrash that Carol uh, was heading us towards. Uh, I'll read a couple more comments. Rabbi Arya Kaplan's translation calls it the oasis to life my vision. Be'er l'chai wrote me, I can see why he would translate it that way. Um, I just don't know what it means exactly. Um, I'd have, uh, you know, so, but yes, you could translate it that way. And that's another thing. I'll call on you in a second, Pauline. Um, that, th that's another sec uh, a thing, which is that uh, the translation is, is also ambiguous or multivalent, I think I should say. Um, uh, is this well a place of healing? I think so. Um, and uh, are you seen or not seen, says Joan? Right, that's a good question. Pauline, what did you want to say? Um, I, I just want, it's kind of hard for me to text so much. Please, I don't mind you speaking. Okay, um, I, I was thinking of it as a place, a well of where we've got to replenish ourselves. And we all have those places uh, any therapists in the room, um, when they tell you, uh, or a meditation, think of the place where you were so calm that you could hear all the inspirational pieces of wisdom that your mind just got so opened and your heart. And when that happens, it is something so mysteriously divine that and, and hearing the voices of whatever it is we happen to have needed at that moment fills us up and nurtures us and nourishes us as a well by being seen. And, and then look at the gift that God is then giving to this other people. You talk about, talk about being chosen, Yishmael, a group of people to be heard by the God who sees. Um, that's kind of miraculous. Thank you. Isn't it a beautiful name? The well of the living one who sees me. I just want to say that over and over again. Gail. Um, yeah, I. this is one of those texts where, or all of the connections, where we can really see that when the Torah was put together, there were different voices and different discussions and arguments going on. And so we have the generally accepted story that Abraham was heroic for listening to God who tells him to kill his son. Um, and then we have this other God who is the God of compassion and who goes, who sees the broken heart and responds. And of course there's the breakup of Abraham's family after the Akedah and they all go join each other over at that well. Um, so it's, it's like two stories ongoing at the same time in these texts, two different Thank viewpoints. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, because it, okay, let's look at one more text and then I'll, I'll, I'll keep, we'll keep riffing on this. If you, Gwen, would you put up chapter 21 verses six to about uh, 10, you know, yeah, there we go. There, six, that'll be great. This is the chapter where Sarah gives birth. Now, Sarah said, 
God has made laughter for me. All who hear of it will laugh for me. And she said, who? Who would have dared say to Abraham, Sarah will nurse sons? Well, I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great drinking feast on the day that Yitzchak was weaned. Now remember everyone, Yitzchak means laughter. Okay, because God has made laughter for me, it says up in verse 21, tzuchok asali. All who, who hear this will yitzchak li, will laugh with me and for me. So Yitzchak's name means laughter, it's beautiful. And then it says in verse nine, now Sarah, has, now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian woman, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Okay, now the Hebrew is, Asher yaldala Abraham mitzachek. So what is this boy doing? Now, many translations need this to be a motivation for Sarah's action. Uh, and so they translate mitzachek as mocking, uh, making fun of, teasing. Could mean that. Litzachek later it says, Yitzchak, Isaac, and uh, his wife Rebecca were mitzachek. Could mean playing around, right? Because uh, uh, that's in another story, but playing around sec with sexual connotations. Um, so it could mean all kinds of things. But what if he was just laughing and Sarah couldn't stand it? What if he wasn't being mean to his little brother? What if he was just laughing? She sees this other child laughing and Sarah can't stand it. She says, banish this woman. It's at this point that uh, Sarah uh, uh, takes her son with her out into the wilderness as we read on uh, Rosh Hashanah. Um, so, um, here, you can take that down again. Okay. Um, hold on one second. There we go. Uh, Bonnie says, psychology here is also struck blind. Yeah, but I don't wanna talk about the, the blindness, the psychology of laughter. Boy, yes, yes, Joan. <laughs> There's a lot going on here, but I, I, in the interest of time, I'm going to continue in my thread. Um, okay, what if this is the story that we can tell through the gaps in the story? The Akeda cause, chapter 21 and 22 are the disintegration of a family. Ishmael and, um, and uh, um, uh, his mother, Hagar, are banished from the camp. In the next chapter, Abraham takes his son and the son doesn't return. In the next chapter, Abraham returns and Sarah dies in the very next chapter. Earlier, when uh, God was, um, in, in chapter 17 of, I'll just cite this, in chapter 17 of um, this portion, um, right before Isaac is born, God tells Abraham, your wife's gonna have a baby. His name's gonna be called Isaac. It says, Abraham fell flat on his face and laughed thinking, can a child be born to a man of a hundred? Can 90 year old Sarah bear a child? So Abraham then said to God, you know, if you would just let Ishmael live and be well. But God said, nope, Ishmael's gonna be fine. Uh, but you're also gonna have a son named Isaac. And in that line, you hear about Abraham's regard for Ishmael and Hagar as his family. Just let Ishmael live. It's like, it's okay. 
So what if in this telling, Yitzchak is heartbroken, as Carol alluded to, when Hagar and Ishmael leave. That's his brother, his big brother. Ishmael and Hagar settle in Be'er Lechairo'i, the place where Hagar initially fled, where there's a well, where the living one sees me and hears me. Because at the well that's not named, God says, lift up your eyes, Hagar, and take the boy by the hand. And God showed her a well. So the language of seeing is also in that section, even though that well isn't mentioned. And then what if, after the trauma of the Akedah, and we don't hear from Isaac again, what if he journeyed to be with Ishmael and Hagar as his refuge, as the place where the living one sees him as well? Pauline, do you wanna say something? You're muted. Oh, okay. I was just talking to myself, the, the idea of um, the, the seeing and the hearing. Um, Ishmael, you know, when we see each other and notice that, that divine spark, and when we feel ourselves seeing is when we can give out the divine sparks. So he left to go be with his stepmother um, as opposed to his family. Mm -hmm. Get me out of here. Mm -hmm. And his brother. Mm -hmm. And then the next time we hear about Isaac and see him is when Rebecca is being brought to be his bride and he is coming from Be'er Lechairo'i. And then the next time we hear in just a few verses later, Abraham dies and Isaac and Ishmael bury their father together. And then Isaac went back to Be'er Lachai Ro'i. So, you know, typically we think, oh, Ishmael and Isaac, at least they reconciled enough to be able to bury their father together. What if they'd reconciled what if they never had to reconcile? What if it's where Isaac fled to, to be with his brother? And Hagar, who named the place where he lived. And so Isaac and Ishmael buried their father together and Isaac went back to Be'er Lachai Ro'i with Rebecca. He's married. Ishmael, as it, if you recall, after it says that in the very next line, and here is the line of Ishmael, son of Hagar. So in this modern telling, there's this place called the well of the living one who sees me. And please recall that in Torah, a well is always a place of life. That's why, um, uh, Arya Captain called it an oasis, right? In that environment, the well was the place where you met your loved one. That's where Jacob meets Rachel. The well is the place where the well of living waters, where life bubbles up. The well of the living one who sees me is a place where Isaac and Rebecca and Yishmael and his wife and Hagar lived after Abraham and Sarah had died. And that's not a stretch, right? It's right there in the text. History's impulse is to, because the covenant comes down through Isaac explicitly, our, our lineage, our relationship with God, uh, the impulse is to show how Ishmael doesn't get that. But Ishmael actually always gets God's blessings when you read the text. God says, Abraham, I've heard about your love for Ishmael. And um, uh, Ishmael's going to be okay. 
Uh, now, Paul said, I think Abraham is truly attracted to Hagar um, and had a good relationship with Ishmael. Not only do you think that, Paul, but the rabbis think that too, because Abraham's affection for Hagar and Ishmael is never questioned in the text. And so after Sarah dies and it says Abraham um, uh, married again, a woman named Keturah, that says in the, the, the chapter after um, uh, uh, he buries Sarah, uh, the rabbis say, and this is straight across the Midrashim, that Keturah was another name for Hagar. So there's a whole other Midrash extreme that says, actually Abraham brought Keturah, brought Hagar back to his home. Again, the text doesn't say that, but the impulse is that impulse that Abraham loved both his children, loved both his wives. Um, so what I wanna spend a few minutes on now is to think about the place of the well where the, of the living one who sees me as not a physical place, but as a moment of encounter. What happens for you or for a person when you encounter, the, when you find yourself at the place of the living one who sees me? And I would say that in modern English, we say, you really see me. I felt really seen. We say that a lot, right? I felt heard, I felt seen. What is the quality of that interaction? When we find ourselves at the well where we feel seen. What happens to us? when we feel seen, acknowledged. Yes, Barb, deeply acknowledged. When it happens to me, it's an immense relief. I can let my guard down. I can reveal myself. Often met with tears of relief. Oh, you get it. I can stop carrying this all by myself. I can stop defending myself against the world. Joan says we don't really exist for others until we are seen by others. Hagar runs away from her mistress. who is miserable to her. And then an angel speaks to her and says, I see you, Hagar, I hear you. Go on with your life. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be okay. Go on. I, it's okay, I see you. Maybe we can say that all to one another, even in this tribulation that we're in. You're not alone. You're seen. We yearn for it. And also we yearn to be able to offer that to the people we love. Meet me at the well. Carol. Yeah, I I I I want to just go back for a second. Um, Please do. Because it makes sense to me now that that Yitzhak favors Esau. And okay. Jacob is the one who needs to be seen. And Jacob's whole journey could be about being seen. Um, so that's that, <laughs> as my novel continues. Thank, thank you. Um, but I, 
I just had an experience after, you know, being alone here since March, sometimes walking with friends. So it wasn't, you know, it's not total isolation, but I just had an experience of living a month with some family members who 100% see me. Wow. What was it like? It was just all the tension in my body went away. People even noticed it. I mean, the, and, I, it, and it happened very quickly. It happened maybe with the first hugs, I don't know. But I can, it can come home with me because it was so real and it wasn't quick. It was over a month. I got to experience it every day with life going on, you know, everybody's journey and people bumping into each other and all that, but it was a reminder of what life can be to really be seen. I'm so glad you got to experience that, that you get to go back whenever you want. Because I was lonely, huh? <laughs> it was hard. But, but I, I don't even know, I mean, who knows what's gonna happen in the next mo- weeks and months, but I don't even know if that's as threatening anymore. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Here's something I wrote about this a long time ago. Berlichairo'i, Ah, Isaac and Ishmael bury their father together. This alone would not be enough to assume that the brothers had done teshuva with each other, but the Torah then adds, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, and Isaac settled at Be'er Lechairo'i. I say that Isaac and Ishmael did reconcile at the well of the living one who sees me. Be'er Lechairo'i is much more than a physical location. It is a state of being condition of consciousness, it is the place where we are seen, truly for who we are, children of the divine, unique individuals, beings of infinite worth. It is the place where God sees Ishmael as he is, as a boy in desperate need of help and responds. It is the well that Jacob figuratively stands by when he approaches his brother Esau and looks him in the face for the first time and exclaims, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. We dwell at the living well of the living one who sees me whenever someone says to us, you really see me, and their defenses melt away. We dwell at the well of the living one who sees me when we find ourselves peering into the bottomless wells of another's eyes and they into ours, and all preconditions and grudges and judgments momentarily evaporate as we face the mystery of our shared being. We dwell at the well of the living one who sees me when we know that even on our deathbed, the capacity for healing and love is ever present. We dwell at the well of the living one who sees me during the days of awe when we ask one another for forgiveness, when we manage to cry over our losses and laugh at our foibles and approach one another another with humility and love. In this midrash about our first family, which is every family, reconciliation is sometimes possible, not always certainly, but sometimes. But for that possibility to ever manifest, we must first make our way like Isaac to the Be'er Lechairo'i. We must first stand where we see each other as God saw young Ishmael, as beings of infinite worth and precious in our eyes. Oh, thank you, Ruth. Yeah, well, we'll post the... um, this class and I can post the sermon that I gave 
gosh, I was looking at the date, it was about 20 years ago. Um, um, yeah, I was looking through, uh, through my collection of sermons from Rosh Hashanah. Thanks very much. Pauline says, maybe that's what Shabbos gifts us with. Shabbos is a palace in time, a well in time. Well said, well said. And a big difference from rugged individual, individualism. And does that make Isaac the strongest, not the weakest of the patriarchs? Well said. Be'er also means to interpret or to understand. Torah is water. So this is the deepest understanding of the beautiful lessons of the Torah. Thank you, Avikai. Gwen says, in Derech HaChayim, the Maharal, Judah Lo of Prague from the uh, 16th century, says that before you can speak to a person, you have to truly see them. And Blaise says, thank you, beautiful teaching. Being seen in the current language means getting somebody, being got matters. We can definitely take this awareness out into the public sphere. If we encounter someone we disagree with, we don't have to take up arms. We don't have to make it a life or death struggle. We can try to see them. We can put our own opinions aside and instead do this other thing, which is not about debate, but about encounter. Pauline says, when we are shepherded by the divine at those moments. And Rob says, some say, I see you, some I hear you, and others, I feel you. And remember, I grok, grok is a good word for that too, from a Stranger in a Strange Land by, um, what was his name? Robert Heinlein. Heinlein, right. Boy, I devoured that book. Many when times. I was a teenager. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I see you, I hear you, I feel you, I get you, I grok you. And we can do that everywhere. We can do that everywhere. So may it be. I, I don't know if Ellen remembers Reb Zalman's chant. I don't know if it was Reb Zalman's that we would do. God, I want to know you. God, I want to feel you. God, right? Remember, what was that? If I don't remember the word. Eleanor, remember, not me. It's uh -huh. a song. I want to know you. I want to be with you. you God, I want to be uh -huh. with I want to be with you. The uh -huh. ultimate intimacy, you know. That's right. My sweet Lord, I really want to know you. Yeah. George Harrison there. All right. So let's, let's uh, conclude with gratitude there and do a blessing for healing now. Yeah. Uh, my guitar is still in the sanctuary. So instead we'll just do a chant. Uh, uh, Joan says, Stranger in a Strange, Strange Land was my first favorite book. And isn't it interesting when we think back on it, that um, that's from the Torah. Moses names his son Gershom, which means I was a stranger in a strange land. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful full circle to come around to. Of course, I didn't know that when I was 14. <laughs> so anyone whose name you want to put into the list for the chat for healing, Max is still hurting from helping me save my cat's life. Max, the mitzvah man, Abigail's lovely son, having had nerve damage in his shoulder that it's hard to recover from. Sylvia Rosenfeld is uh, praying for Klaus. Gwen is remembering Neshama Bat Luba. Paul is his sister, Marilyn Barnes. Rabbi Ellen, Yaakov Avraham Ben Tova, Rav Penina Bat Vora. Linda Diaz, Achazanuri Michel Ben Penina, Neshama Bat Luba, Arav Shai Aviad Ben Balfura, Arav Yaakov Sriben Liba, Deborah Berger, who's recovering well from her shoulder surgery. Pauline's lovely dog and psychic. Talk about seeing you, Pauline. <laughs> she sees me. Mize. She named her dog Mize, meaning who's this? Who's that? Who's that? May he, I hope Mize feels all peppy really right away. Michael Ben Panina, Robert Michaelis Formis, and Michael and Stephen Neshama, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Anya Gus, who is recovering nicely, going home tomorrow. That's Joshua's uh, mother in law, beautiful. 
Robert Michaelis Formas, who I spoke with. He's he's doing he's doing much better. He's getting a lot of good care at Golden Hill as he recovers from a fractured hip. Uh, here's the prayer. You know, um, I should just say in the Mishaberach that we sing by Debbie Friedman, where he, she says, and you shall be a blessing. That line also comes from our portion this week. May healing come. May all of us feel seen and heard and felt and gotten and received. That will all aid all of our physical healing and all of the spiritual well-being that we need to strive for. Can you hear that song?